of these two NFL teams this season? You're going to have to listen to find out. Let's get started. Listeners, welcome back to another episode here on the Sean's Take podcast. And today, I'm starting this episode with a heavy heart. As I think about what happened at the University of Virginia this past weekend. As I'm sure you know, Three Virginia football players were shot dead by a former Virginia football player last Sunday. Lavelle Davis Jr., a junior wide receiver, Devin Chandler, a junior wide receiver, and Deshaun Perry, a junior defensive end and linebacker, are all no longer with us today. And this has been an incident that is very hard for me, and I'm sure for many of you, to wrap our heads around. It doesn't make sense why we live in a world where things like this happen. And it is hard to put something like this into perspective. Lavelle, Devin, and Deshaun were coming back from a field trip when their lives were prematurely ended. So to to the David, Chandler, and Perry families, I'm deeply sorry for your losses. Now I would like to take a moment of silence, and listeners, I want you to do the same to honor Lavelle, Devin, and Deshaun, and send a quick prayer out to their families. And now we're going to head into a quick commercial break before we resume the rest of this episode. So listeners, what all are we talking about today? Well, we're going to start with the Los Angeles Rams and a big injury they had this week. Then I'm going to answer some Twitter questions that have prompted some great discussions. And finally, I've got two NFL teams I want to talk to you about today. 
two NFL teams I find very interesting to start this season. And I'm not going to tell you who they are right now. You're going to have to stick around to find that out. But it's going to be good, so don't go anywhere. But right now, we're going to start with Cooper Cup, who was injured this week for the Los Angeles Rams. So on Sunday in the Rams game, Cup suffered a high ankle sprain that has required him to get surgery and land on IR. This obviously is a troublesome blow for the struggling Rams, who sit a lowly 3-6 and six after coming into the season with one of the highest Super Bowl odds. Fresh off of a Super Bowl victory, the Rams have looked anything but a Super Bowl contender this season. So with being placed on injured reserve, this means that Cooper Cup is out at least the next four weeks. But the recovery timeline for his particular injury of a high ankle sprain that required surgery is more like five to six weeks, which means we're unlikely to see Cooper Cup suit up for the Los Angeles Rams until the last couple weeks of the NFL's regular season. So this leaves the big question being, what does this mean for the Rams moving forward? My answer is simply nothing good. The Rams are a shell of what they were last season. And outside of Cooper Cup, who currently leads the team in targets, receptions, receiving yards, and total touchdowns, the Rams have not had many bright spots. Matthew Stafford has thrown as many interceptions as he has touchdown passes. Allen Robinson, the Rams' big free agent acquisition, has a lowly 292 receiving yards and two touchdowns through his first nine games as a Ram. The Rams' offense ranks 21st in passing yards per game, 32nd, that's dead last, in rushing yards per game and 29th in points per game. This is not what we're accustomed to seeing from a Sean McVay-led offense, especially one that Matthew Stafford dominated in last season in his first year in LA. The Rams' defense has fared a little bit better. They've given up the six fewest yards per game. But despite that, they're still giving up the 18th most points per game in the league, and they have not been able to get after the quarterback whatsoever as they sit at 25th in the league in total sacks. So Cooper Cup was quite literally the only thing working for them. If you've watched the Rams this year, you've known if Cooper Cup's not involved, the Rams' offense is not involved. The Rams are going to struggle big time without Cup, and I do not see any shot of them turning this thing around quick enough to make it back to the postseason. What the Rams need to do right now is some soul searching. And that was true even before Cooper Cup went down. This Rams team this year could teach a lesson on what a Super Bowl hangover is and what it looks like. And without first round picks, there's no incentive for this team to finish in the gutter at the end of the season. So while the Rams aren't going to do much this year, they're going to need to get their identity back before the end of the season. Because if they continue on this trend, all of a sudden, we're going to hear, was Matthew Stafford's one year for real? Or is he back to that Detroit Lions Stafford that can't win games? Is Sean McVay figured out in the NFL? Have people caught on to Sean McVay in this offense? That's what we're going to hear from L.A., did they make the right decision to trade away all these picks? Yeah, I got them a Super Bowl, but what's their long-term effects? That's what you're going to start to hear from the Rams if they don't get that identity back before the end of the season. Again, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, let alone make a run at the Super Bowl and hoist another Lombardi trophy after this season. What they need and what they can do is get their identity back, play tough football, win some games, 
and go into next year refreshed and rejuvenated. So the next thing I want to talk about today is actually a couple of questions that were asked to me on Twitter. So David Lathrop, thank you for giving me some questions on Twitter that I thought needed to be discussed further than what I could confine to a single tweet. So we've got two questions from David. One question is NFL and one is NBA. For the NFL question, this came in after the Rams-Cardinals game, a game where both starting quarterbacks were out and ultimately Colt McCoy of the Arizona Cardinals was able to lead his team to a 27-17 victory. The question that was asked is, what is my opinion about players not showing up for a quarterback? And as David mentioned in his tweet, after the way the Cardinals played for Colt McCoy, it makes him wonder if Kyler Murray has lost the team. And if so, what does that mean? So I think players not showing up for a quarterback is a real thing. And in Kyler Murray's instance, I think this may be happening to a degree. Look, I'm not sure how well Kyler Murray is liked. There's definitely been talk questioning his leadership, but without really being his teammate, being in the locker room, being on the Arizona Cardinals, I can't say for sure what type of a leader he is. However, what I do know is that his leadership has been questioned multiple times. And if we go back to the summer, he did have that clause in his contract that required mandatory playbook studying and film review. While this, I believe, was taken out of proportion, as it was later taken out of his contract as well, there had to be some issue for that to ever have been a storyline. So at one point, that clause needed to be included into his contract. The point I'm getting at here is that there have been red flags surrounding Kyler Murray. And when you see a backup quarterback start a game and lead them to victory, it does raise some questions because the Cardinals had been a struggling team and they looked a whole lot better when they played the Rams on Sunday. So now the other side to this whole story is more in Murray's defense. And that's, I do believe that a lot of teams elevate their game when a backup quarterback is playing. We saw this earlier in the season when Dak Prescott was out for the Dallas Cowboys and Cooper Rush took over. The Cowboys team as an entire unit seemed to step up their game to another level to help support Cooper Rush and make his life easier. I definitely believe that part of this is what happened to the Cardinals on Sunday. I think the team as a whole came into the game saying, we need to make Colt McCoy's life as easy as possible today because we don't have Kyler Murray back there to bail us out. This is the same mentality I think the Cowboys had with Cooper Rush replacing Dak Prescott. Now, should teams have to do this? No, they should play this way every single game. But unfortunately, I believe there is a psychological aspect to all of this where just in general, human beings perform better when their backs are against the wall. So to get back to the root of this question, what do I think about players not showing up for a quarterback? I don't necessarily think this intentionally happens, but I do think that performances across the board drop when there is not a great relationship between the quarterback and the team. This is the most similar example in football that we can get to a head coach losing a locker room. When a head coach loses a team, the team struggles to play their best. Now, the team is still going to go out and give 100% effort, but their 100 is not really what their 100% should be, even though they're actively working to do their best. So when players don't show up for a quarterback, I don't think they're actively not trying to show up for him. I believe they still do their job like they would any other day. However, 
I think the morale of the team being lower overall has a major impact on their performance. So again, I don't know for sure if Kyler Murray is losing the team or not. And the team may love him. They may take him over any other quarterback in the league. But if there is some disliking of Kyler Murray as a leader in the locker room, it does affect the team's performance as a whole. And that could be why the Cardinals appeared to have so much more life in them against the Rams with Colt McCoy under center. So I don't know. But I definitely do think if there is an issue with Kyler Murray in Arizona, the team by default, not intentionally, will start to play better under a different leader. And that's, again, just a psychological thing that I think is happening. I don't think when Kyler Murray's there, they're saying, hey, we're not going to try as hard today. We're not going to try to win this game. Because at the end of the day, they all want to win. Nobody wants to lose in that locker room. But the team morale may be lower with Kyler Murray under center. And now, a quick message. Now, the Sean Steak Podcast has a new friend, and that would be Axlow. Now, what exactly is Axlow? Well, Axlow is a new online store for iPhone cases. Between their Celestial, Cloud, Down, Pastel, and Undulet collection, Axlow has the phone case that you need. And right now, if you head over to axlow.com, that's A-X-L-O-E.com, you can use promo code Sean's Take for 15% off your final purchase. So what are you waiting for? Head over to axlow.com. Again, that's A-X-L-O-E.com right now because your phone deserves to look good too. And that information and the promo code will be available in the description of this podcast episode. And now we're back with the second question from David, and this is an NBA question. And it pertains to a tweet I quoted from the Los Angeles Lakers who were highlighting Russell Westbrook's magnificent night against the Brooklyn Nets in what was the Lakers' third win of the season, the big number three. My tweet read, the energy Westbrook has given the Lakers scoring since coming off the bench has been nothing short of amazing. He's looking to be the superstar part again. Give this team some time. And David followed up my tweet with the question of, what is his excuse from last year? Now, that's a great question. I have a couple of answers for that. One being, there is no excuse. There simply isn't an excuse to look at for how last year went. Now, last year was not what it was supposed to be for the Lakers, nor for Westbrook on an individual level. However, I do think that he took way too much blame for how the season ended. Anthony Davis played 40 out of 82 games. LeBron James played 56 out of 82 games. And Westbrook was the one who took all the blame. Was he an awkward fit in LA? And at times, did it seem like Westbrook was unwilling to change his style of play to make things work? Yes. But was there more to this story? Yes, 100%. Westbrook never had enough time to work on playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I mentioned the injuries that LeBron and AD played. They never had time to gel. I believe the three of them had 11 or 15 games together while all three of them actually played in the same game. That's not a recipe for success. Now, did Westbrook have time with LeBron in the lineup? Yes. But really, when you think about it, when you have two ball-dominant non-shooters like Braun and Westbrook, Anthony Davis was the whole key to making this thing work. A lineup with LeBron and Westbrook alone isn't a lineup built to succeed. Now, a lineup with the two of them plus AD, that's a different story. When you unlock multiple pick-and-roll games by having those three on the court, 
you open up your offense more. The pick and roll between LeBron and AD. The pick and roll between Westbrook and AD. You have more slashing. You have more off-ball screening. That's what the Lakers missed for essentially the entire year last year. Let alone staggering of minutes between LeBron and Westbrook to give them each time alone with Anthony Davis on the floor as a primary ball handler. This year we're seeing that. We're seeing Westbrook come off the bench, LeBron will go out, Westbrook and AD have their thing, LeBron and AD have their thing, all three of them will work together. You can stagger this, get different energy levels, get different styles of play going. The Lakers had none of that last year, which made it really hard to find a groove to win games. So this is all reasons why Russell Westbrook and the Lakers didn't work out last year. Now, I'm also a firm believer that Frank Vogel, head coach of the Lakers last season, was not a Westbrook fan. And I think that had a huge impact on everything as a whole. When Aiden Cady and I, in one of our first episodes of the Sean Stick podcast, debated Westbrook versus Damian Lillard as a fit on the Lakers, while we didn't agree between the two, we did both agree that Russell Westbrook was not being utilized by Frank Vogel properly, and that was one of the main reasons why Westbrook looked so bad last year and looked like such a bad fit. It didn't seem like there was an effort to make the fit work. So for this season, while the Lakers have started out as one of the worst teams in the league, there are moments when I see them starting to figure things out. Westbrook coming off the bench, as I mentioned earlier, is already showing improvements. And once LeBron gets fully healthy and the Lakers commit to using Anthony Davis in the second half, I think we're going to see a Lakers team that can become competitive this season. So for last season, there's no excuse on what happened. It was bad. It was a failed season. Things didn't go as planned, but they dealt with up and down coaching. They dealt with the injury bug all season long, and they didn't have a roster that was built for the team they had. Do they have it this year? Not really. But is it better? Yes. The Lonnie Walker signing. I liked that a lot. He's played great for the Lakers so far. Pat Bev is still getting integrated with how this team rolls. And the Lakers have pieces there. And then again, you still have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, three first ballot Hall of Famers, who, yes, LeBron and Westbrook may be a little older right now, but by no means are they done. By no means can they not play at an insanely high level. And then you have Anthony Davis, who's still young enough, and when he wants to be, can be quite literally a top five player in the NBA. You have all those pieces here. The Lakers can succeed if they figure it out, and I think they're on their way to figuring it out. I've tweeted sometimes about the third quarter being the biggest weakness point of this Lakers team. The win against the Nets was great because Anthony Davis, I believe, had 19 in the first half and ended with 37. Before, Anthony Davis would have 19 in the first half and ended with 23, 25 points. The offense needs to go through Anthony Davis for four quarters. When LeBron's in, when Westbrook's in, when all three of them are in, it needs to go through AD. That's the key to this team. Being aggressive there, it'll open everything else up. So I do think that the Lakers can figure this thing out. And now we're going to head to commercial break. But when we come back, I'm going to tell you about two NFL teams that have been really interesting to watch this season. Composer Dunn Pearson, and I want you to visit WBRFRadio.com to make a donation. Your gift, no matter the amount, will help veterans reset fellowship 
So join me by becoming a monthly subscriber at WBRFRadio.com. God bless America. Simply the best. Rarity. Top 1%. Circle of Excellence. For all your real estate needs, the Gene Lowe team. Rarity. Simply the best. Foggy's Automotive. From a simple oil change to every auto repair to keep your engine running smooth. For Wayne's best car care. Foggy's Automotive. Number one. Foggy's Automotive. 1536 Rats a Road. Wayne. You're listening to Tom's Day. So the time has come. What are these two teams that I mentioned before break that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode? Well, it's two teams that have overperformed this season and are really surprising a lot of people. Now, there's a lot of teams that can fit this category this year, and eventually I'll talk about them all. But the two I want to talk about today are the Minnesota Vikings and the New York Giants. And the reason I want to talk about these two teams together today is because they're both oddly similar in how they got their success this season. The Giants currently sit at 7-2, and two, which I think no one was anticipating. Even you Giants fans out there, don't say you thought they were going to be 7-2 and two to start the season, because I know that's not true. So while I thought the Vikings, on the other hand, would be a playoff team this year, I wasn't anticipating them to start off 8-1 and one this season and perhaps be the best team in all of football. So what is it that brought these two teams to the level we're seeing them play at today? Neither had exciting off-seasons. Neither hit it big on the free agent market. I think both teams drafted well. That's not what explains their stellar start to the season, though. For the Giants, getting Saquon Barkley back was huge. Obviously, he's the biggest component to this team and their success, but even as good as Saquon Barkley's been this season, he has not single-handedly won them seven games to start the year. So where all this success lies is in two new head coaches. I thought Brian Dable was one of the best coaching hirings this offseason. The Giants saw what he did with Josh Allen and the Bills, and wanted him to be the man responsible for turning around the future Giants offense that we've all grown accustomed to seeing over the past couple years. And for the Vikings, their hiring of Kevin O'Connell from the Los Angeles Rams, former Rams offensive coordinator, I'm sure the Rams are missing him right now, was a move that flew wildly under the radar. Both of these coaches are in the running for coaching of the year, and they deserve all the credit in the world. In 2021, the Giants offense finished with four wins. They went 4-13, and and the Vikings finished at 8-9. and Brian Dable and Kevin O'Connell both took two rather unchanged rosters for the most part and have them both playing some of the best football in the league. The Giants have already passed their win total from last year, and the Vikings are well on the way to doing so. Yet again, as I mentioned, the rosters, there weren't these big overhauls. There weren't big quarterback moves. There weren't Tyreek Hill getting traded, Khalil Mack getting traded. There were not these big-name moves that happened. These two rosters, they added parts. They added some key pieces. But neither of them got that superstar in free agency, that superstar in a trade. So this is a testament to what a head coach can provide to a team. That was the biggest change both of these programs went through. Now, for a head coach, the X's and O's aspect to coaching football are something that both Brian Dable and Kevin O'Connell have. They're both very offensive savvy. 
but the part that goes unrecognized is how they both have been able to connect with their teams. A head coach that can motivate a team is such an underrated aspect of head coaching. And clearly both Dable and O'Connell have been able to do that. They're both the offensive wizards and they're both the motivators for their football teams. I wanted to group these two teams together because when I'm watching the Giants and the Vikings, these two teams, again, they're not all that different from where their roster was a year ago. Yes, they both added pieces, but they're by no means the most changed rosters in the league from last season to today. Instead, what they did is they found head coaches who have been able to use the talent they've been given, and it's really been something special to watch. Because again, I don't think anyone expected the Giants to be 7-2 and two to start the season. I don't care if you thought they'd be a playoff team. I know you didn't think they'd be 7-2 and two right now. And for the Vikings, I picked them to be in the playoffs. Did I think they'd be 8-1 and one to start the year? Absolutely not. And I don't think many people would have thought they'd be in this situation either. With a big win over the Buffalo Bills last week in the game of the year, a lot of people thought the Vikings were going to get blown out by the Bills. Because, eh, you know, they've started out really well, but are they really that good? Well, they answered the question, they are that good. So, again, something special to watch in Minnesota and New York. And for New York, yes, the Jets are doing their thing too, and we're going to be talking about them in future weeks. But for today, I wanted to link the Vikings and the Giants up because of what these two first-time head coaches have been able to do. So for the final remarks of this episode, I want to give a huge shout out to my mission, Viejo Diablos, who are taking on St. John Bosco on Friday night in the CIF Southern Section semifinals of the Southern California High School Football Playoffs. On my Sunday episode, I said I would see if I could get my flight changed to be back home for the game, and Diablo Nation, I'm back. There was no way I was going to miss this game. I'll be there tomorrow night. So mission, good luck on the field. And with that, we're wrapping up today's episode of the Sean State Podcast. Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. You're listening to Thanks for listening to the Sean Steg Podcast, and make sure to join Sean Steg on social media for more unique and exclusive content by following at Sean Steg on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok.